pray. Father God, we thank you, we praise you for who you are, for the work of your hands. Father God, we thank you for this time where we gather together, one another, your children, Father, sent to worship you. Father, we pray that at, at this time, in this moment, that you would open our hearts, that you would reveal to us your scripture, that you would speak your truth to us in love, so that, Father, we may go forth today and every day to be about your kingdom work. Father, we ask and pray that as we look into your word, that you would speak. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, welcome to New Life. We're so glad that you were able to join us this weekend. So whether you're joining us online, right, or here in person, we're just so thankful that you decided to make New Life part of your weekend. I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life, and we are in the middle of a summer series called Experiencing God, Such a Time as This. And we have the opportunity to talk about this in the midst of this kind of whole overarching annual emphasis we've had on experiencing God unreserved. But before we get into the message today, if you have your phone, you'll note that because we're not doing connections, that you'll be able to use the New Life, not the New Life app, but actually the Bible app. If you want to go on and uh, click on the Bible app here, and you actually go to More, and you click on Events, and New Life is right there on a map. And you can look and have all the sermon notes and stuff like that. And I'd encourage you to follow along. If you're online, there's a notes section there for you as well. We'd encourage you to use that because we're going to cover a ton of Scripture today. So you might want to have those notes handy or reference them later in the week if you'd like. Because today, we're talking about the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter. Pretty famous guy, right? Because during this series, we've tried to take different biblical characters and see how God has worked in their lives. And so the Apostle Peter, we're going to do that with him today. Now, let me be honest with you. The Apostle Peter, he's just not my favorite guy. I know, it's okay. It's confession time. You can, you can chuckle at that. I, here's why. He's just so rash, right? He just says things that come to his mind. When you read through the Gospels and you come across Peter, most of the time I'm like, did he really say that? And yeah, he really did. But here's what I love about Peter. Even though I don't always feel like I connect with him too, ter terribly well, here's what I love about him. He's about as real as you can get, right? Of all the characters that we've discussed thus far, he's the most normal. Because if you look at who we've discussed thus far, they're, they're pretty important folks. Like we talked about Esther the first week, and Esther's a queen, okay? It doesn't get any easier from there. The next person was Abraham, and he's the founder of the Israelite people, Every Jew can trace their lineage back to Abraham. He's the founder. And then we moved on from there to Joseph, and Joseph was the second in command of all of Egypt. Kind of a big deal. And then from there, we went to Moses, who's Israel's greatest leader. And then it got easier because we went to David, and he was just Israel's greatest king. Right? Oh, we talked about Ruth in the midst of there, too. And like she's David's great-grandmother and sacrificed everything in her life to go serve her mother-in-law so that she could be honored for the rest of time. Oh, and she's also like the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Jesus. And now we have Peter, and Peter was a fisherman. I can relate to that. I don't know if you can, but I can. Now, you might say, well, David was a shepherd, and that's pretty normal. Yeah, but David didn't screw up as much as Peter did. Right? Again, we're walking through the Gospels, and you're like, did he really say it? Yeah, he really did. I love Peter for that reason, that he's real, that he's relatable. And Jesus took Peter and chose him because Jesus saw something in Peter. 
he saw someone, an ordinary guy, through whom he could do some pretty incredible things. And that leads us to our take-home point for today. The take-home point is the one point that I hope that we'll take with us and we'll live out this week, and it quite simply is this. Jesus shapes the ordinary for his extraordinary purposes. Jesus shapes the ordinary for his extraordinary purposes. Now, before we get into Peter, I want to set the context here. So we're going to start with Jesus, because that's usually a good place to start, right? We'll start with Jesus. So Jesus began his public ministry, and he's walking throughout these towns in a region called Galilee in, in, Jerusalem, or, um, in Israel, right? And so as he's walking, he's teaching, he's preaching, and he begins to kind of attract disciples. Now, for us, we're like, what does that even mean? It seems a little bit abnormal, but that wasn't abnormal back then, because rabbis, teachers would come, and these young men would kind of just follow them. But Jesus does it in a way that's different than everyone else. Traditionally, what would happen is a teacher would come into town or a rabbi and gather young men unto himself, and a couple of the young men would become kind of enraptured in his teaching, and they're like, I want to follow this guy. And so they would follow him, learn his teaching, hoping ultimately to get an audience with this rabbi so that hopefully if they did enough right stuff, he would choose them to be a disciple of his. They kind of had to earn the right to become a disciple. Jesus doesn't do that. If you have your Bible or that Bible app that I mentioned, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. The words will also be up on the screen. Matthew 4, verses 18 to 20. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Jesus called them. They didn't follow after him. They didn't have to earn any right. He called them. That is a clear break from tradition. Jesus said, hey, you guys, come follow. And they followed him, which really kind of blows our minds, right? Now, there is some precedent to suggest that Andrew and Peter at least knew of Jesus a little bit before they took this step. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 4 records that Jesus actually healed Peter's mother-in-law in in chapter 4, and then in chapter 5 calls him to be a disciple. So I guess Peter really did like his mother-in-law. Anyways, you'll get that on the way home. So, but also in the Gospel of John, Andrew comes and sees Peter, and he's like, hey, we have found the Messiah. We found this man. He teaches with this authority. And so they were at least aware of Jesus and his teaching. We don't know how close the relationship was, but we do know this. When Jesus says, hey, guys, you want to come follow me? They left everything behind, and they followed Jesus, leaving everything behind literally from one end of Israel to the other, from Samaria and other outlying regions. And he taught with such authority and with power. It's an incredible time for these guys. Now, as Jesus traveled, he begins to, and continues, I should say, to teach, to preach, to heal folks, and he continues to gather disciples. This is something that I think we miss a lot, but Jesus had a lot of disciples. But of those disciples, he chose 12 to be apostles. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16 says this, One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. 
Here are their names. Simon, who is named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Now, there's a whole sermon in verse 12 where Jesus prays all night asking the Father who his apostles should be. Like, if Jesus had to do that, how much more do we need to seek out the Father? But we don't have time for that sermon today. The important thing to note is, of all of these disciples, Peter's one of the 12 apostles. What did he do for that? We don't know. God must have said, hey, he's one of the 12. And of the 12, the Gospels record that Jesus hung out really very closely with three, Peter, James, and John. For some reason, he really poured into these three guys. And Peter, James, and John got to see stuff that no one else got to see. We only have a couple of things recorded in Scripture, and I don't know if that's it, but even if that's it, it's pretty incredible. They got to see Jesus raise this guy's daughter, his name was Jairus, raise his daughter from the dead. I'd like to see that. Not only that, they got to go up on a mountain with Jesus at one point, and Jesus was transfigured into his full glory, and like these Old Testament characters appeared. That ought to blow your mind for the day. So Peter had more access to Jesus than almost anyone else on the face of the earth. That's pretty incredible. Ordinary guy, fisherman, maybe monsters, you know, maybe a year or two before that. And he gets to spend this time with Jesus. And Jesus called him. Maybe it's because of this relationship that Peter feels comfortable doing and saying things that others were like, ah, man, we're not going to do that. Right? The most famous example is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After spending Sending them home, he went up on the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was alone there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. While the disciples saw him walking on the water, when they saw him, I should say, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when we saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I'm not sure, but I'd like to think that as Jesus was holding Peter in that moment, he said that with a little bit of a grin on his face, right? Because Peter's kind of like a toddler in this moment, and Jesus reaches out the window to save him, right? And Jesus, in this moment, you get to see how he interacts with Peter because he's continuing to shape him, to mold him, to transform him into a completely new person. It's an incredible thing. And also, in that moment, Jesus is helping Peter to see who Jesus really is. He's revealing more of himself to Peter. 
It's an incredible thing, this relationship that they have one with another. It's one of the most beautiful things, frankly, in all of Scripture, to see the way in which Jesus relates to these apostles, to these men. And actually, all of this seems to kind of coalesce in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's actually referencing himself. Son of man, he's referencing himself. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, you're like, wait, in the past, last passage, they said he was the son of God. Well, like, this is Greek and Roman times, right, where there's sons of God, demigods kind of running around everywhere, right? But the Messiah is the chosen one of Israel, right? And I can just imagine the, the apostles are like standing there with half of them, their mouths kind of hanging open going, oh my gosh, and the other giving Peter high fives like, he got one right, you know, he got this one because... You don't have to read the Gospels for very long to realize very quickly that the disciples, they were just confused most of the time. They were. Poor guys. Totally confused most of the time. And this was a rare moment of clarity. Peter got this one right. Now, lest it go to his head, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jesus commends Peter... But it's also clear, makes it very clear to Peter that he didn't come to this on his own. The Father revealed it to him. The Father revealed it to him, which is very interesting and actually a little confusing, right? Peter's thinking, the Father revealed it to me. Can you imagine? Kind of put yourself in in Peter's shoes. The Father revealed it to me. What's that even supposed to mean? Is the Father going to reveal more? Is there a plan that I'm not fully aware of? What else is going on here? Well, the next few verses help make that clear. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. That's a big one. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things from merely a human point of view, not from God's. Ah, Peter, what happened? What happened? A few verses before he got it right. And now, what in the world went wrong? Well, Jesus makes it clear. 
He was seeing in this moment from his point of view, not from God's. When he revealed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, God revealed that. But why was Peter reprimanding Jesus? Well, because for Peter, the Messiah that was to come was to be like Moses. And what did Moses do? He set his people free from foreign bondage and oppression, right? And led them into the promised land so they could have their own land. They could be their own nation, right? That's what they wanted the Messiah to do. You have to remember, guys, at this time that Israel had been under foreign occupation for over 500 years. 500 years. Because first the Babylonians came in and they conquered Israel and they shipped most of them off. And then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And it's not like the Persians were like, hey, it's cool. You guys can do whatever you want. No, they took all the territory that the Babylonians had. And actually, Queen Esther rises up during that Persian time. And then the Persians, we all learned from the movie 300, went and battled the Greeks, right? And the Greeks got really upset and held on to a grudge for like a hundred years. And then Alexander the Great came and the Greeks conquered the Persians. You guys got all this? And then the Greeks who conquered the Persians, rose to power through Alexander the Great, and then Alexander dies, right? And then what do they do? Like, well, we got all these generals in power. Let's just give them the land. So if you're keeping score at this point, Israel has been ruled by like four or five different foreign, foreign oppressors, okay? So then the Greeks, they go down in power, and then who comes next? The Romans, And the Romans, they stick around for a while. And the Romans are actually the foreign occupying force at this time during the time of Jesus. So for 500 years, these people have been waiting for the Messiah to come and do what? Set them free. So maybe we can cut Peter just a little bit of slack for hoping that the Messiah wouldn't die. Because how can you lead a rebellion when you're dead? That was his point of view. We all know ultimately, because we know the story, that that wasn't God's point of view. Jesus was sent to do just that very thing. Unbeknownst to Peter, his words were those of Satan, because Satan had for years been trying to tempt Jesus away from the cross, right? You don't need to do that. So within a couple of, within a couple of verses, Peter is revealed, it's revealed to him the word of the Father of who Jesus is, and then wham, He's compared to Satan. And this isn't the last time that Peter's going to kind of go from hero to zero pretty quickly. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed and to be crucified, Peter pledges his loyalty to Jesus and says, no matter what, Jesus, I won't ever leave you. And Jesus says, okay, good news. Not only will you abandon me this night, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it plays out just like Jesus says that it would. It left Peter a broken man. The gospel of Luke says that Peter left the courtyard after that betrayal weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. Because he had betrayed his friend. Not betrayed, but denied. I can't imagine what went through Peter's head in the couple of days following the crucifixion. Kind of put yourself in that place. 
You thought this guy was the chosen Messiah, and he's dead. So not only have you lost a really close and personal friend, but a leader, a mentor, he was mourning, and understandably so. But not only that, Peter probably felt a bit like a fool. Honestly. Because believe it or not, when you're oppressed for 500 years, Jesus wasn't the first Messiah to come onto the scene. There were many false messiahs, and the story played out the same way pretty much every time. Guy would come, claim to be a messiah, he would gather disciples, he would start a movement, then it would kind of turn away from what Jesus did, because they would usually end in some sort of revolt against the oppressive occupying you know, foreign authority, and then that guy would be captured and usually killed. And when he died, the movement died with it. And you were left being the guy that followed that guy. Congratulations. You just dedicated your life backing the wrong horse. I can't imagine what was going on in Peter's mind. To make things even a bit more confusing, just a couple of days after that, there's an empty tomb. I don't know how you begin to reconcile that in your mind. And then Jesus does this thing. I don't know where he came up with this idea, but think about this. For three years, you walk side by side with a guy. You're one of his most intimate friends. He shows you things that he doesn't show almost anyone else, right? You're one of the most intimate people in his life. And then all of a sudden, he's crucified. There's an empty tomb. And then you and your guys are just kind of hanging out in a room. And then he just kind of pops in, drops a couple truth bombs, walks through the wall, and he's gone. Their heads must have been like jello. What is going on? Who is this guy? And in the midst of all this confusion and pandemonium, Peter goes, Guys, I got to get some normalcy. I'm going fishing. This is actually what Scripture says. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And some of the other apostles are like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So they go fishing. And in John chapter 21, there's the account. Here's what happens. They go out all night fishing, and they don't catch a thing. Wow, isn't that great? Talk about kicking you while you're down, right? Professional fishermen can't pull it off. And so there's this guy standing on the shore as they're pulling their boat in. He's like, hey, did you catch anything? And they're like, no. Little did they know that guy's Jesus. Because again, I don't know how they don't recognize him in the moment, but Jesus would do this thing and they wouldn't understand who he was. And so he says, hey, I have an idea. Instead of dropping your nets on that side of the boat, why don't you drop it on the right side of the boat? Let's see how that works. I can't imagine their faces. Who is this guy? Our lives are in shambles. We haven't caught a thing, but whatever. What could it hurt? So they drop the net over the right side. Scripture records that they have such a massive catch, they can't pull the nets in. In a moment, Peter recognizes who Jesus is, and I don't know what it is about Peter when he sees Jesus that he just jumps in the water, wraps his cloak around himself, jumps in the water, and swims to shore, where Jesus has made all of them breakfast. You can't make this up. And they sit down to a meal, Peter the other apostles, and Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. 
You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time. Oh, a third time. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Why was he hurt? We don't fully know, but I'd like to think it's because he recognized the the significance of three times. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Jesus reinstated Peter in this moment. He brings him back into the fold, and he revealed to Peter what kind of life he would live. It was, in all actuality, a come-to-Jesus moment. And I'm not trying to be trite about that. That's exactly, Jesus is saying, will you count the cost? Will you be my disciple? Will you be an apostle for me? Ordinary man, will you do these things? And Peter says, yes, I will. A few weeks later, Jesus would ascend into heaven. A few weeks after that, the Holy Spirit would fall at Pentecost, and Peter would stand before a crowd of people, and thousands would come to believe in Jesus. The Gospel of Acts, or not the Gospel, but the book of Acts records that Peter would be imprisoned in and out of prison for the first several chapters. And not only that, in Acts chapter 10, he would be the first to go to the Gentiles leading Cornelius and his family to faith, opening the way that Paul would then walk, leading the entire area, actually most of the ancient Near East, to know the name of Jesus. Peter got to live out an extraordinary life because through the ups and downs and the back and forth, he continued to press into Jesus. And God used this ordinary guy to do pretty incredible things. After the first few chapters in Acts, really after about Acts 15, we don't know much of what happened to Peter. Church history tells us this. He was faithful. Some say that he went on missionary journeys. We don't really know. But what we do know ultimately is this. He led the church well. He was an elder. And then he eventually was, history holds, imprisoned for the very last time and set to be executed. And so in that moment of execution, it was revealed to him that he was to be crucified. And he said, no, you will not crucify me in a manner the same way as my Lord. And so he asked to be crucified upside down. And that was his final act of submission to Jesus. You know what I love about Peter? He's perfect for such a time as this. He's perfect for such a time as this. You know why? He's a normal guy, a fisherman who couldn't get his foot out of his mouth, who made mistakes, who talked too much, who said sometimes pretty idiotic things, but then sometimes he got it right. And Jesus took this guy and and just poured into him and used him and shaped him and molded him into who he needed him to be. And through Peter, 
God did some pretty unbelievable and incredible things. And here's the thing, guys. None of us are Peter. None of us are. There's only ever going to be one of him. But the same things that he did are available to us. And we know that as we press in, as we follow hard after Jesus like Peter did, that regardless if we screw up, if we come up short, if we nail it, if we hit it out of the park, we have a Father in heaven who by his Holy Spirit will come alongside us to shape us, to mold us, to transform us into who he needs us to be. And through that, he will shape and mold us into doing what he needs us to do. He will reveal himself to us so that we can do what we need to do in such a time as this. And as we do that, we'll be living out what is our next step for this week, which quite simply is this, I will live out God's revealed purpose for me this week. I will live out God's revealed purpose for me this week. The question always is to something like that, well, what is God's revealed purpose to me? I don't know. I do know this, that God is faithful, and that as we seek Him, He does reveal His purpose. It's interesting that as Peter spent time with Jesus, as he was shaped and molded by his relationship with Jesus, it was out of that context that the Lord revealed what He would have him to do. I went for a walk this week, or actually a couple of weeks. I go for a walk almost every day. But a couple of weeks ago, I went for a walk, and I was thinking through what have I experienced of God this year, right? We've been talking a lot about experiencing God unreserved. Where has God, what have I experienced new about God this year? What has he shown me? And as I thought through that and as I prayed through that, God was so faithful. He's like, well, here's this moment, here's this instance, here's what I showed you here. And then out of that, he revealed a few things to me. None of this was earth shattering, pretty normal stuff. Some of it was some encouragement I desperately needed to hear. Some of it were some challenges that I needed to work through. But I know this, that God can take all of us as ordinary people, that he will reveal himself to us so that we can do what he would have us to do, so he can shape us into who he would have us to be for such a time as this. If he did it for Peter, he will do it for us. And we can live out of that promise this week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and the work of your hands. We ask and pray today that you would lead and guide and direct our steps from today and every day into the future. It's in your name we humbly pray. Amen. What I love about Jesus is that he chose his disciples. He asked them to come along. And for many of us, we also have come along on this journey of faith. We've chosen to believe in Jesus. And there may be some of us in the room tonight or even online who have not yet taken that next step to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if that is you, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that. For us here at New Life, that's as simple as A, B, C. A means to accept. B means to believe. C means to confess. And we're going to talk about that here a little bit more fully in a few moments. But if you do not yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I would ask that as we sing the song here this evening, that you would reflect upon that and that you would see what God may have for you as we talk about that here in a few moments. <laughs>